This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Before we get going with today's podcast, I want to remind you about a great opportunity to learn football at Lawrence First and Goal Coaches Clinic. The clinic is to benefit pediatric brain tumor research as well as cancer services. And the lineup, as I mentioned, is an incredible one. 160 speakers. And right now you can get the ticket to that clinic, $49 for an individual $150 for a staff of five, so $30 a coach there, but you need to act now. That expires once it hits 2021 here, midnight on Friday. Again, check it out at lfgf.coachesclinic.com. On today's podcast, we focus on simple ways to break down an opponent to make it easier for both your staff and your players. And joining me to discuss this is the defensive coordinator at Rose Holman, Nick Davis. Nick, great to have you back on the podcast. It's always great to talk football with you, Keith, and I'm excited to get going. So you are a repeat performer, Nick, and I I know for our listeners, I will link our past episodes, but uh, we got into some interesting conversation about uh, theming things on defense and how you name things on defense and really taking the players into mind. And again, I'll link both of those. We did a front end and a back end, two episodes with it, with it which I thought was great. And this off season, you've taken the time to really look at how you break down an opponent. And you've found ways to simplify that so that when you get into the teaching, when you get into the game planning and the install of a certain game plan, uh, it's, it becomes very clear to your players what you guys need to stop because I think you'll agree, Nick, when you look at any breakdown, right? We want to get detailed. We want to know exactly what they're doing. That stuff really makes the most sense for a coach. A player will never have the ability to go through all those different scenarios that we have and broken down in a game plan. And truthfully, when we get into having to make a call, Nick, I, I, I think it's, it's tough on a coach too. If, if you're bogged down by all the detail, it becomes tougher for you to coach and call a game. It becomes definitely more difficult for players to diagnose things. So that's what you've looked at. Um, tell us a little bit about the work you've put into this offseason. 
Yeah, well, uh, um, obviously everyone knows what's happened in, in 2020. So, you know, we didn't have a spring practice schedule. Um, our kids are never here in the summer. They, they all have internships all over the country, um, making a ton of money as, as engineers. Um, and um, we did have 21 practices this fall, and we're going to have a season in, in the spring. But I just had a lot of time. And uh, one thing that I always reflected on, and we tried to do a great job of coaching our kids on what all the concepts were um, day one um, and easy ways to do formations. But the one thing that I, you know, was thinking about through all this and, you know, um, being a division three school, I have a revolving door of, of young graduate assistants that come, they get their degree, they go get full-time jobs. So what I've always had a challenge with is, you know, teaching new guys what we call things. And, um, and I think that's the most frustrating part for a young coach is when they're breaking down the game, not being sure what that defensive coordinator wants to call that. And that shouldn't be a stressful time. I think it should be super easy that they can look and be like, oh, yeah, that is a two-by-two two formation. The tight end is attached to the formation and an easy tag and be like, that was a zone run or that was a drop back pass. Now we get into more detailed things. Uh, once, you know, our, our coaches break those things down, you know, as the expert of their area. Um, one thing I think we've done a nice job is my DB's coach. I call him the pass game coordinator. He's in charge of the whole pass game skill breakdown. Like I've gave him ownership, you know, he can put it on his resume at the end of the day, like as the coordinator, I'm going to make the final call on what coverages we play. Um, and my linebackers coach, he's the run game coordinator. He's in charge of watching all the run plays. He should tell me what the O-line is like, what the tailback's like, if the quarterback pulls the football, what their tight end splits, and, and give him ownership of that. So giving those coaches ownership, but making it easy for them to go through and break that down, that shouldn't be the most challenging part of the week. The, the challenging part should be once it's broke down is finding those tendencies, finding when that guard is light on his hand and you know he's going to pull. So um, those are things that I looked at in a hole and thought, I got to revamp the whole system. So where does that start for you, Nick? How, how did you go about this process of simplifying and revamping the whole system? Yeah, and I think it all starts formationally um for me and, and this is stuff i've done um since i've been the defensive coordinator but i got this from brian white i you know i'd coached offense here um you know the way our offense calls a play is different than how they would break it down on film of, of opponent and it was just simple if there's two extended receivers it was two we put an x if there was two eligible guys at the boundary we put two. If they were both extended, we put, you know, an E for a tag. Um, and then it becomes a three-by-one. You know, we weren't calling things kings and queens and, you know, creating all these different names, doubles, trips, tray open. Like, I understand um, that terminology from a football coach standpoint. But do your kids know that? Do they know what trips open is? Maybe their trips open in high school was different than tray open or close, you know. So I was like, we have really smart kids, but they can count three guys over there and one guy over there and they can, you know, we can tag where the running back was to the field or the boundary. So we created an easy, simple formation system. And I think that's where it started for us. And I would agree with you. I think at the end of the day, uh, formationally, 
you know, understanding, first of all, how to get a line starts with, is it two by two? Is it three by one? Is it, you know, uh, two back, et cetera, that you don't need to bog them down with the minutia of it. Uh, maybe you refine some things later based on things and personnel, but ultimately simplify there to get things started in, in a line. Yeah. And, you know, from there we, you know, we put the whole formation um, together. Um, so an example would be three extended receivers um, with a nub tight end. We'd go three by one nub. And if the tailback was set to the field, we'd put an F for field. Uh, we'd put an N for nub just so it's, it's small and, and concise and easy on the breakdown. Uh, but then I also, um, if there was any sort of motion, I'm going to put whatever we call on our offense, that motion in there. So if I'm out, on the practice field with a script as the defensive coordinator, I should get a general sense of knowing what everything's going on. Um, we don't need FSL um, columns or formation to the boundary because I would just go one by three. And that's how I would know, like my young coaches are blown by that, that, Oh, there's not an FSL column. Well, I know it's one by three. I can, you know, our kids will understand that there's only one eligible receiver. Um, so we'll do that. And then, We'll take the tailback out of that because I think some teams, their tailback, you know, the offense coordinators are doing a nice job of not having a tendency. So their tailback will be to the field one time to the boundary. So we'll take the tailback out of that. And we call that a formation family. Um, we have another column where it's just tailback. Maybe a team has a huge tendency on whether he's to the field or the boundary. Um, we have a separate motion column. Maybe we get certain plays when there's a separate motion. And then one thing that I really like against, the Penn States of the world, the 11 personnel team that does everything is I've tagged a formation type. So if that guy's an attached tight end, that tight end, um, I, I put an A. If he's extended, we put an E. If he's a wing, we put a W. Um, if he's a nub tight end, we put an N. Um, because I think that tells you a lot. Um, when they never change personnel, you know, they're aligning that guy for a certain reason. So everything for us starts with formation. And, yeah, we have, like, seven different ways to break it down, but it's super easy, and I think each one of those is going to be valuable throughout the season. Yeah, I like the way that you're doing that, and, you know, you've extended that then into things conceptually, too, as you get into the run and pass concepts that you're looking to really – put these in bigger buckets, right? Those, those categories are smaller, maybe across, but now it starts to, to allow you to see here's maybe the seven to 12 different things that this team really does. Yeah. So then we, we break down, um, by scheme. Um, and for me, I feel like a team can do about seven to 15 things and, um, and we try to put it in a bucket so it's easy on the coaches, um, it's easy on the players. And then when I get that first data at the first part of the week, I'm going to look at the formation, um, you know, whatever I feel like those formational tendencies are. And then I'm going to look at scheme. So for us, if it's a pass play, is it a drop back pass? Is it quick game? Is it a screen? Is it some sort of boot? Is it a, um, a shot protection? Is it sprint out? A team's really going to do five to seven different things within the past game. Um, in the run, is it a zone run? Um, is it a 
Are they pulling one offensive lineman? We call that a gap run. Are they pulling two offensive linemen? We call that two gaps. Um, whether it's power or, you know, some sort of fold, at the end of the day, I just want to know, are they trying to create one gap on the other side of the center? Are they trying to create two gaps? Um, is it a perimeter-type scheme where, you know, you can't always figure this out if they're reading it or not, but there is an option to get the ball out on the perimeter, at least that is presented to the defense, and then there's an option that that potential ball carrier could run and split your defense on the inside. So, um, again, we've tried to narrow it down. Now, as a defensive coordinator, I still want to know if that was split inside zone, if that was just inside zone without a tight end. I want to know those things. But I think our kids don't care. We play in a one-gap defense. We have our kids. You know, we play a lot of man coverage. At the end of the day, they don't necessarily care as much as what I do as the coordinator, nor do they need that amount of information that I need. And I know when you look at, as an example, the passing game, right? Um, we start to get very detailed in what we call things as coaches, but I think you've taken a look at it and again said, let's simplify. The kids really don't care. Uh, they, they need to understand how they're being stretched in a certain zone, for example, versus, oh, that was a smash or that was a smash fade or, you know, the different variations that you start to see in things. Uh, some of that doesn't necessarily matter, you know, as, as a starting point for these guys. Yeah, so what we'll do is um, instead of, yeah, China or smash or, you know, uh, hook curl or you label every single route, those are things that I want as a, you know, the D coordinator. I want, to, I want to know that stuff, and that's important to me, and we try to put in our offensive terminology. If, if that team we're facing runs the exact same play as our offense, we have a category, hey, what does Russ Holman call that? So scout-wise, we can get that information to the, you know, the scout team, and they, you know, we don't have to draw up a card. Hey, you guys run that play that we already run, and – um, it's up to the, that receiver coach on our staff to make sure those young guys know that play. But uh, um, so what we've done now is we have really two different buckets. There is a two by two bucket and a three by one bucket. So our two by two bucket is we have a two by two field concept and a two by two boundary concept. Okay. If you can follow me, whether a team runs hitch slot fade or hitch corner, or it may be a five-yard uh, angle route by number one in a corner, or a five-yard angle route in a slot fade. Maybe that receiver MA'd and didn't know that he needed to run a slot fade and he ran a corner. That's four different concepts. That's four different names that potentially a defensive coordinator would call that. So what I found on Twitter one day, just scrolling around, this guy had this bucket, and I don't know the guy's name to give him credit, so I'm sorry. Uh, I did reach out to him and said, you're a genius. Uh, I found this, but – his concept is that's an outside stack concept. So at the end of the play, the number one and the number two receivers stacked each other, you know, on the outside of the, you know, the field. So they, there's an inside stack. Um, you know, they have ways to handle mesh and levels. So we've created this system, and especially in the split field defensive world, uh, which we dabble in. We're not necessarily always a man-free, middle-of-the-closed team. You know, if an offense is running an outside stack to the field always, 
into the boundary, they're running just straight two verticals. You may want to play a different coverage to the field than what you did the boundary. So our um, DB's coach, Eric Lance, his job this whole off season was to create a great game plan for everything we've seen over the last five years that has hurt us or things that we've been really good at. So he's looked at all those concepts and he created a, a, a metrics of, or a matrix where when a team is two by two and they run outside stack, this is my favorite coverage just to the field. Um, and then that has allowed me to go back. And as, as I look at it, you know, he really likes cover one here. Um, but he really likes cover two to the boundary. Is there a way that I can play cover one to the field and cover two to the boundary that's easy for my kids to do? If, if we can, let's put it in a coverage and, and have it as a tag. If we can't, then figure out the best way. But that's things we've done coverage-wise. And then three by one, um, we have a three-man concept in that single receiver concept. And um, we've gone through those buckets and – We've made it easy because now we're looking at the data and it's like 40% is outside stack. 20% is a snag concept to the field. So that's 60% there. Maybe you like the same coverage for both those concepts. So, you know, 60% of the time I should play a cover two defense to this concept because it covers all the routes that the offense is going to put in those areas. That makes a lot of sense. Um, in, in looking at, the uh, run game, especially as it relates to RPO. Everybody is doing some RPO today, though I've found um, play action is may, making a big comeback and teams see the need for play action paired with the RPO, right? Because RPO, for the most part, I mean, there's the third levels, but RPO is going to hit in a certain area of the field and you start to lose some of those vertical shots, right? So a defense can sit and take away some of that. Now, putting the play action back in starts to allow you to target things a little bit deeper. Uh, you pay attention to that now within what you've done to revamp your breakdown and looking at the mesh of the quarterback. Yeah, so our um, we'll have a – obviously, everyone in the world has a play type on huddle, uh, run, pass. We'll take that, and then any time that a receiver ran a route and, and you're getting an offensive line going down the field – we're going to consider put that in the RPO category, whether it was play action and the O-line, you know, just got a yard down the field. Uh, when we play man coverage, we cover the routes that are being ran. So to our DBs, that is an RPO. Or uh, to our linebackers, if they are getting a harder mesh, like they're going to come fit their gaps. So the first thing that we'll look at is um, first all those plays, whether they were a pass or not, whether the ball was thrown, they get put in our, our run cut up. So our, our run guy is evaluating the mesh of everything. So he evaluates the quarterback and running back mesh, whether that is a downhill hard mesh or that's a downhill token fake or a lateral um, hard mesh where there's bend in the knees with the quarterback or a lateral um, uh, token fake. Uh, the big thing with the quarterback there is, is the ball, is the ball, the tip of the ball in his belly? Is he really extending it out and he has some bend in the knees and his elbows are bent? Every team's going to be different every week. Every quarterback's going to be different. But our linebacker coach is studying that, and then he's getting that information 
to the linebackers, to my defensive ends. Um, that information's getting relayed to the defensive backs. You know, especially if you're a middle field close team, your free safety should know that information because he shouldn't come downhill trying to stop a run on play action if it's some token fake where the ball's in the quarterback belly. Or he should know what the quarterback's drop is on screen um, so maybe he can fly down a little sooner to help you make a play. So we break down the mesh point on anything that is a run um, action um, or any sort of play action, and we get that information to our kids. Anytime there's a mesh, we break down what type that was and whether we felt like that was hardball or some sort of token soft fake. Then the concept of, of how you're breaking this down extends to pass rush efficiency. And as you and I were talking a little bit before this, I really like what you shared about how this takes into account some things that maybe don't show up when you're looking at the breakdown of a play a different way. For example, a touchdown pass, right? Uh, In general, it's easy to say that was not an efficient pass rush. Um, But those are some things that you want to account for in your breakdowns. Talk to us about how you break down the pass rush efficiency. Yeah, so, I mean, as the D-line coach this year, I'm in charge of breaking down every pass protection. And we break that, and, and we put this in buckets too. Uh, you know, was it a man protection? All five of those guys are responsible for a man. Okay, great. Was it a zone protection? All five of those guys are responsible for a zone. Or was it a combo protection? Half the guys are responsible for man. Half the guys are responsible for zone. And then I've created a, um, a metrics of a matrix of this is what I think is best versus combo protection versus zone protection versus man protection out of our three, four, five, and six down front. So again, we put in all this work in the off season of what our favorite things are versus all these different schemes. So we get into a week, and that's an early starting point for us. We have our best calls for the drop-back pass. We have our best calls coverage-wise. We have our best calls for a man uh, concept pass protection where we're scheming it up. We have our best calls for zone gap schemes. Um, And we've done that preseason. So when it gets to that Sunday night or that Monday or Tuesday when you're talking with the staff of what you like, the experts in all of those areas have already came up with their favorite things when they have a clear mind and a lot of time on their hands versus Sunday night, they just want to go home. The Cowboys are playing on Sunday night football and they're a huge Cowboys fan or just the fact that they're mentally exhausted from it being week seven of the season. I run through that like, hey, what do you like? And our kids know cover one the best. Let's play cover one in this situation when it may not be the best for our kids on Saturday. But to me, I felt like that was the best at that time. So that's kind of the general way of why we do those things. And then I look at, okay, pass rush efficiency. Um, in the old days, I was just looking at sacks, TFL, and we were watching everything. But I wasn't necessarily super, you know, if I saw a 60-yard touchdown on film, I wasn't like, what did the defensive line do there? Because um, you're thinking as a coach, like, well, they probably didn't get a rush. Um, so we do a pass rush efficiency on every play. 
did the defensive line or the linebackers get that quarterback off his spot of where he wanted to throw, regardless if it was a 70-yard touchdown, a pick six, or a sack. I want to see every clip of the whole entire, you know, breakdown that we have, whether it's the season, three games, five games, seven, is I want to see all those plays. And I want to watch all those plays. And then I find my, you know, little cheat sheet I have of, okay, there's 70% man protection. This is what this team did to affect the quarterback. This is what's on my sheet. It, it matches. That should be our number one call. Um, you know, no team has done this, um, but we did this against them last year and affected them. That's my number two call. So that's kind of what I start to look at. And then you go from there. What O-lineman is the worst? And we got a, you know, a column in our breakdown of what's the tackle get beat on, the guard, the center, the, the other guard, the right tackle. What are they consistently getting beat on? Um, and if my guy that's over that tackle all day long isn't very good at throwing a rip, but that tackle gets beat on a rip every single time in a crucial situation, well, I need to put my best guy that can throw a club rip over there because I'm putting my team in the best situation to be successful. I think the game of football is all about consistency and putting your kids in the best situation to be successful. Um, so those are things we look at in, in pass rush. And then I think this next metric might be one that everybody could really take away on this because – I can remember sitting in staff meetings as we'd all go through, you know, we would usually meet as a whole staff on Sundays, offensive staff, defensive staff with our head coach, everybody go through and give grades. And you'd hear, uh, let's, for, a, for an example, pick on a corner here. You'd hear this corner's grade and he graded out at 90 some percent, but you distinctly remember this guy gave up like three big plays here right they they got him uh so you focused on a metric that you call defensive player targeted or defender targeted tell us what defender targeted is yeah so uh we call it dpt defensive player targeted and what that really is is uh we got in you know i got in that mode of we're grading every single guy and i think there is merit to that at certain points um Certain, you know, if you're at certain levels and you have a graduate assistant um, to do those sort of things. But this metric helps you be able to take that corner that graded out at 95% that gave up four explosion plays on really the only four times he's targeted. And now he has a rating that the whole defense, or you can do this on offense, you know, um, you know, when that offensive guy gets the ball touched, um, you know, when he touches the ball, I think you could do the same thing is what happened when this kid was actually targeted. Um, and it started off as just a pass, you know. I wanted to look at my defensive backs when I was coaching the DBs to evaluate in the spring who we thought was going to play for us the next fall. And, you know, obviously some DBs play against better receivers and, and different quarterbacks. Um, and then I thought to myself is we could incorporate this in the run game as well. So we look at every play. So – on every pass play, my defensive back coach goes in on whether that player was targeted. So simply, if the ball was thrown at number 18, we put 18 in that category. Then we let the huddle kind of report kind of do all the rest of that information. In the run game, my linebacker's guy goes through that game 
or practice or scrimmage, whatever you do. We, we really like this and, and practice and, and scrimmages um, because now your second, third, and fourth string kids are getting evaluated more than what they do um, on game day. So now that, that linebacker puts, you know, what guy he felt in the scheme of our defense on that play, and that's why I think it's important that a linebacker, a D-line coach is involved in the run game versus the DB guy that just, you know, uh, mails it in like, oh, yeah, I think the nose guard should have made that play. What guy was responsible for making that play within our scheme, within our defense, and he gets targeted. And what you'll see in a game of maybe 80 plays, you're going to notice that you're going to have a kid, the, the most targeted kid on your defense is going to be six to ten times. So there's 70 other plays that he really necessarily wasn't a factor um, that he's getting a plus grade most likely in your system unless he MA'd there. Um, what the most important thing was, was on the 10 times that he was challenged in that game, how he performed. Then I have another column that tells me whether that kid was in or out of position on that play. So then that comes back to, okay, 17 was challenged my linebacker on a run play. He missed the tackle. He was out of position, all right? Or he was in position but still missed the tackle. So now my tackle coach is going through that film, and he's looking at the different plays that we missed tackles and whether those kids are in or out of position. So then he knows that he can run certain drills with certain guys on our team. Um, our DB coach then knows just because Johnny uh, had a – 90% efficient rate when he was targeted, he was out of position 60% of the time. That's going to get you beat against a good receiver and a good quarterback that can throw that ball. So we're able to use those things. Uh, one example, we had this kid, Kevin Kling, um, his junior year corner for us is he had a high um, target rate and the offense was efficient about 60% of the time, but he was in phase 85% of the time. So what we worked with Kevin on was once you got to the, the position to make the play, we worked on finishing the play, all right, breaking the ball out, backhands, those different things, versus the kid that may have been efficient on defense 75% of the time but he was out of position 60% of the time, all right? Was he getting lucky? Was he pretty good at the finish um, of the play? So we needed to get that kid right at the beginning of the play with this technique. So this metric has allowed us to really construct drills for our guys and personalize the way we coach our kids. Because um, at the end of the day, obviously you don't want that kid that is 16% efficient on defense and he's out of position 90% of the time, the rest of that room, when you put that thing up on the PowerPoint to show them their grade, they have lost you because you continue to play this guy. So I think it challenges you as a coach. Hopefully um, you got someone better on the team that, that's there that isn't a worse grade, but I think it's competitive too, and our kids really like that. And now it's eliminated – you know, the defensive back coach grading five kids on 100 plays, 500 grades, he, he's focused on grading every pass play, which in a game of 100 clips 
maybe 40 to 50. Um, and then he's more focused on what his kid can do better. So Nick, this was an exercise you and your staff did this off season and it's involved adding more of those columns as you've explained. Uh, when you look at the process, uh, number one, the, the time it's going to require to, I guess, add these different things um, versus I think you've already in some ways kind of calculated your return on investment because it's, it's going to you know, definitely, as you explained, save some time and help you make better decisions. Um, how do you see that weighing out? Does this add a ton of time for you guys um, versus the benefit or how do you equalize those out? Yeah, I think that it actually, um, for us and what we were doing now, I think everyone, there's a different standpoint. Um, but for us, those young coaches that are experts in their area are actually doing less than what they would normally do, or they're doing exactly what they would have normally done. Um, they just now have a column to tag those sort of things. And then as the coordinator, like I'm craving for more information and I'm watching every snap anyway. Well, why don't I just tag it in certain columns when I get there um, in, in terms of that? So I think uh, on the front end, yes, um, the, the coordinator um, may have more on his plate, but I go to drop back pass and I look in and I see that it's an outside stack um, column. Then I just go through all the outside stack and I say, oh, I would consider this a, a China concept. I would consider this a um, slot fade concept. And, and I just do that. And it's really quick because all this stuff is already done by the time um, I get to it. I don't want my young coaches. I don't want my players stressing like, oh, my God, what does Coach Davis call you know, when they pull the guard and the tackle, all they need to know is they've created two new gaps and it makes it really simple. So I think we've saved time and we've done more. It's just been on the coordinator. Um, I got to, you know, do a little bit more to get the information that I crave to get me ready for game day as well. Nick, before we go here, I do want to make sure we share some of the work you've done and shared on CoachTube. Uh, you have a really good course over there called Stopping RPO Throws in Multiple Coverages. Uh, for our listeners out there, if you could just give a quick overview of what you've put into that. Yeah, so it's going to be three and four down fronts um, and, and maybe some five and six down fronts in terms of that. But playing a, a lot of different coverages, we are a middle-of-the-field close, man, cover one, uh, four-man rush, base defense. But we play cover two, we play cover three, we play quarters concepts. Um, everything that we do in terms of those are tied in to kind of how we look. Like if we are a one high alignment, whether we're playing cover two or quarters, we're going to appear like that. And when the ball snapped, we're going to get ourselves in our best situation to play those coverages. Or if we're a two high shell, all right, we're going to play whatever coverages that we're playing from a two high shell on the snap. So, I think it gives you guys a lot of options um, in terms of different ideas. And, and in our league, we've seen RPOs for five years. You know, we've seen the bubbles. We see slants. We've seen um, fade quick out. So there's almost, I think, every single throw that uh, these RPO teams are doing in there. So it's going to show you a lot of information. Um, I think it's about 50 minutes 
of uh, great information. Um, and, and it's all game film. There's no drawings or anything. Uh, a lot of times when you're dealing with me, you're going to get a lot of film. So it's 50 minutes of continuously doing a great job stopping RPOs. And then I even show you, these are the biggest RPOs we've seen in five years, just so you can get the, the scared stuff out of your mind. Um, and I think in, in the run game, there was a run that went for um, 20, 30, 40 yards um, in five years. And there was a pass that went for um, 40 or 50. When you look at some of the breakdowns from our league and you see almost every week an explosion RPO going for 60, 70, 80, whether it be a run or pass. So um, I show you all the scary stuff up front. And then I show you, you know, the nice job we've done in the last five years uh, covering a lot of that stuff. And you can find those, uh, a link to that, to the Code 2 course in the show notes, which again is in your app description. It should be a live link there. If you can't find it there, go to coachingcoordinator.com and find the show notes for this episode. Nick, uh, before we go, how can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, they can follow me um, on uh, Twitter at uh, Coach Nick Davis. I also have a at Spread Defense account. Um, if you're going to try to connect with me, the at Coach Nick Davis, my DMs are, are turned on, so that is a good way. I also have a, a YouTube channel. Um, it's YouTube slash Spread Defense, which uh, I do a lot of stuff every single uh, week uh, on just little things. Like I've talked about some of these breakdowns, and I've gone into more um, – um, I guess, detail on, on different things we do. So that all gets archived to the YouTube. And then obviously coaches mention uh, the coach tube, which I'm working on actually currently a um, how to build a defense from scratch, um, all the fronts, all the movements and, and coverages. Cause I know a lot of you coaches out there, you know, personnel wise, you may be completely scrapping what you did last season and trying to get something new. So this course will kind of tell you um, and give you a basics of, this is what we've done. I built this all from scratch and maybe you can get something out of it. And I, I would think that you're going to get one, two, five, six, seven different things out of those courses. Yeah. You've done a great job with those courses, Nick, and certainly done a great job helping coaches out. And we appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate you taking your time here. And I know you guys are going to kick things off uh, fingers crossed here in, in January and get going. So uh, best of luck to you and Rose Holman in 2021. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Be sure to get your ticket to Lawrence First and Goal Coaches Clinic at lfgf.coachesclinic.com. Remember to save money by getting the early bird ticket, $49 for the individual, $150 for staff of five. Get together five of your coaching friends and save some money there as well. Again, it supports a great cause. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski. And find our show notes, articles, and more at coachandcoordinator.com.